everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And here we are at the end of season one. I have to say, I've been looking forward to this. Not the end of the season, but just completing one season and their corresponding podcast episodes. And again, a special thank you to everyone who has listened to a podcast. Special, special thank you for those of you who have listened to multiple podcasts. Like I might have mentioned a few episodes ago, I was just on the verge of a thousand listens. And by the time this podcast is made available to all of you, I would have put, correction, we would have put a nice dent into that 1,000, making our way to two. We're going to get started on this recap a few seconds earlier than usual, just because I have a few extra things for the end of the episode. And with that, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Founders Day and premiered on May 7th, 1975. Just a quick note, that is a two-month break between the last episode and this one. The teleplay was written by Ward and John Hopkins, based on a story by Byron Twiggs and Ward Hopkins, and the episode was directed by William F. Claxton. Ooh boy, it must be a hot one. We start this episode with a shot of Jack down by Plum Creek, getting a drink of water. Charles calls out to him. He's so obedient. Jack, not Charles. Jack is rewarded with the compliment. Such a good boy. In the previous episode, it is commented that it is July. And well, it must be because things around the Ingalls place all look dried up and brown. The Pacific Northwest can currently relate. Inside the house, Mary is teaching Carrie to say Founders Day and congratulations. She does. As Charles comes inside, the girls announce the contest that they are entering for Founders Day. Mary is going for the jump roping contest, and Laura is going for the hoop rolling contest. Meanwhile, Caroline is dishing some breakfast. Now eat. Settling down at the table, Charles announces that he will be working with a new man because Mr. Edwards is on his way to Minneapolis for a supply run. And because no one asked, Mary announces that her and Laura are in the three-legged race for Founders Day. That's when Charles makes the announcement. Blah, blah, blah. That's all everyone is talking about. Founders Day. Caroline explains the Founders Day celebration is actually, well, it's actually exactly what it sounds like, a celebration of the founding of Walnut Grove. However, according to Charles, it's also a way for the Olsons, Hanson, and some hucksters to make a buck. Caroline says, well, a little prosperity for everyone is a-okay. This is all a community effort. Charles slightly shrugs that off and says, that's the women's league talking. Regardless of the banter, everyone is 100% behind the Founders Day celebration. At this point, Laura needs to know, which contest are you going to be in, Pa? He replies that he's going to be in the spectator contest. Putting his hat on his head and kissing his family goodbye, Charles leaves with that trademark smile. Cut to the mill. Charles, with his axe in his hand, and it's definitely not a hatchet, we are introduced to Mr. Jim Tyler. No need for that Mr., Just call me Jim. Just call me Charles. And Jim Tyler's response to that is, I'll do that, son, if I think about it. There's sort of a silent moment that happens between Charles and Mr. Hansen. FYI, it should be noted, Jim Tyler is a very assertive kind of gentleman, and he's also slightly older than Charles. As they are getting ready to leave the mill, Jim Tyler even asks, Do you even know how to handle a team, son? Jim Tyler is not subtle. 
Heading out to the worksite, we get a brief history on Jim Tyler. We are informed that for 30 years, he was a supervisor with the logging industry and earned the name Bull of the Woods. And in regards to Charles, well, farmers aren't loggers. Do you know how to use a cross-cut saw? You never push on it. You always pull. Oh boy. And finally, at the workstation, Jim Tyler is continuing to lecture Charles, a.k.a. son, on the crosscut saw. Any other person might have taken that axe that Charles has in his hand and, I don't know, maybe driven it somewhere into Jim Tyler's head or your body part of choice. But not Charles. Charles is simply looking on and uh, possibly biting his inner cheek. Jim Tyler inquires, are you all right? And Charles, responding in what can best be described as sarcastically, says, why do you ask that? Well, hardly said anything since we started out. Responding to that, Charles says, just quiet, I guess, before coming back with the question, do you like to work hard? Jim Tyler's response to that, Hard is the only way I know to work. We get a rather confident good from Charles as he turns and walks away, and those pants are definitely highlighting some glutes. We cut to, it's not double jacking, but it's cross cutting. And from this angle, I don't know, my lower back aches and my legs are exhausted. It's a horrible position to have to be in for an extended period of time. They're essentially in a wide-legged squat bent over at the waist and sawing back and forth. I don't know anything about cross-cut sawing, but there's got to be a different position to be in. But really, this scene is just about two men trying to prove who's the alpha. We cycle through a series of shots the crosscut blade moving back and forth between the wood, Jim Tyler, and Charles on repeat. And we all know Jim Tyler may have the experience on hand, but Charles, just look at him. He has his youth, his vibrance, stamina when it comes to wood, sawing that wood. And the edits between Jim Tyler and Charles start to get faster and faster. I swear... There's nothing at all arousing about this scene. Upon returning to the mill, Hansen inquires, how did it go? And I don't know about you as I'm fanning myself, but I would say it went by fast. Charles says that things went fine. And they have about four or five loads that they can bring in the next day. And Jim Tyler, pulling a red hanky from his right pocket, I could have gotten us more if I had someone besides a farmer. Defending himself, Charles says, Oh, your friend talks better than he cuts. Jim Tyler, still trying to get the last word, simply remarks, Well, it's not your fault. You're a farmer. Getting more on the defense, Charles says, I am a farmer, and I'm proud, and I'm as good as you ever were. Probably better. Ooh, strong talk, farmer boy. Things are not heading on to a good path. However, thanks to Mr. Hansen, who's trying to keep the peace, inquires about the champion logger. How do you become champion logger? Jim Tyler, not getting the hint, sardonically replies, with an axe, you know that. And now completely changing the subject matter and the mood, Hansen states, that's why Hansen's Mill is donating a watch and a blue ribbon to the winner of the chopping contest. Way to defuse that situation, Mr. Hansen. Gentlemen, sharpen your axes and may the best chopper win! JT leaves snickering and laugh out loud, Charles is mimicking that snicker as he leaves the scene. Oddly enough, for two men who are not enjoying one another's company, they're walking side by side on their respected destinations. I know Michael Landon is short, but he's currently walking on a slope, so that makes him even shorter. He's just a little bit taller than Jim Tyler's shoulders.
Jim Tyler continues to patronize Charles, saying that he's lousy at logging and is perhaps a well-off farmer, but we'll see how his axe-wielding skills are. They finally get to the point where they part ways, and the camera actually follows Jim Tyler, who is busy watching Charles leave, and as soon as Charles is out of sight, Jim Tyler reveals his true exhaustion level, nearly using his axe as a cane as he makes his way over to the water trout, and he falls to his knees. Back at the Ingalls, Laura is ready to practice her hoop rolling skills. Mary is setting the table and Caroline is fixing supper. Oh, Carrie's there too, just staring into space. At this point, Mary inquires, is Pa the strongest man in the world? There's a very loud chuckle coming from Caroline. No, but he is strong. I sometimes wonder where he gets his energy. At this moment, the door opens. Charles, also showing signs of exhaustion, says no to supper. He had a big lunch, and he's gonna lie down for a moment. When Caroline inquires about working with the new man, there is no answer, because the strongest man in the world is asleep. Later that evening, awake after his nap, and now shirtless, laying on his stomach, Caroline is applying something that looks like a massage oil and begins to rub it into his lower back and shoulders. He is just sore. And we hear that Jim Tyler has got to be the biggest windbag in the world. Caroline mentions how she's already heard this now three times already. He could talk the arm off a statue, modestly admits knowing absolutely everything on the subject of logging. <laughs> I'll show him how to use an axe come Founder's Day. There's a slight chuckle from Caroline. You sound like Laura going on about Nellie Olson with the hoop rolling contest. Charles makes a note to talk about Laura about this. There's a lot more in life than the frantic drive to win. Competing is the most important. So it looks as though Charles is competing in more than just the spectator contest. We cut to Jim Tyler and his wife. They're using liniment to help his aching body. It's good to know that that's what that is. Jim Tyler, lying there, complains that, Brr, it's cold. Isn't there such a thing as hot liniment? Possibly, but... That stuff contains oil, and I don't think you want it necessarily hot. Mrs. Tyler is aggressively rubbing that into his body. You deserve ice. It's a loving 40-year relationship they've been in. But she says, if you'd ask me now to marry you, I'd say no. Going against someone half your age. Woo! You're a stupid, stupid man. I can beat him, Helen. Thank you, Jim, for Helen's name. And I have to say, we just met Helen Tyler, and I think I already want to see more of her. Laying it on rather thick, her words, not the liniment, once you could have beat him, but you get old, like everybody else. Jim Tyler laments, I chopped more wood than any man in Minnesota. I practically made the Swenson Logging Company. You and them, you're just trying to put me in my grave. Cutting off her husband, Helen states, You can still make a living without proving how strong you are. As he's laying there, and the entirety of the day is catching up with him, Jim Tyler simply says, I am strong, and I can beat him. And he falls asleep. And sweet Helen pulls that blanket over him and whispers softly, you can't beat him, and gives him a goodnight kiss. Calls him an old rascal. I would call him a spalpeen. She leaves the room and lets him sleep. It's the day before Founder's Day, and Caroline is coming into Walnut Grove. Mr. Olson is outside the merchantile, decking it out with some festive red, white, and blue. And the schoolyard is busy with kids practicing jump rope and hoop rolling. Inside, Harriet Olson is just finishing a sign announcing the activities slash contest that will be happening on Founder's Day. 
Apparently, there's also a tug of war and a horse race. As she begins to investigate those eggs, Harriet mentions, I'm just thinking about your kids. Don't feel bad when some children are better coordinated than others. Caroline literally says, what? Harriet continues, suppose I'm a doting mother. We cut back over to Caroline's expression and there's a slight chuckle before it completely melts off of her face. She then props her arm on top of something on top of the counter and then rests her face onto her fist. This doesn't seem like usual Caroline behavior, but there she is as she continues to listen to what Harriet Olsen has to say now. Willie and Nellie are good at sports. They take after me. I was an athletic youngster. When Harriet finally stops talking, Caroline says, I suppose you're right. I hear these things are passed down generation by generation. You can tell Harriet Olson immediately takes that as a compliment. She then informs Caroline her eggs are worth 28 cents and would she rather have cash or credit? Credit. At this point, Caroline inquires, was your mom a good cook? Oh, yes, she was. Why? Apparently, there's a pie baking contest. Caroline wants to know her chances of winning. Harriet states, Well, I don't want to discourage you. However, my recipe was handed down and shut the front door. Caroline, in a childish and rather mocking tone, says, From generation to generation. And at this point, she says goodbye and turn around and is leaving with one big ass smile on her face. Speaking of pies, we cut to an apple pie and Charles was so hungry he ate most of that pie himself. Why were you so tired, Pa? Laura inquires. We are told about the sawing contest from yesterday and of course about the axe contest tomorrow. Laura says, you're gonna win. You're the best around. Okay. Caroline, completely changing the conversation, inquires, have the girls ever had pie over at the Olsons? Mary replies, yeah, three or four times, you know, birthday parties. And trying to get any sort of dirt or hint about Harriet Olson's pies, Caroline needs to know, was there anything special? Charles is all of a sudden interested too, and why Caroline is so interested in the Olsen's dessert menu. And that's when she declares that she has entered the pie baking contest. And off to the side, we hear from Laura, yes, we're gonna win everything. She didn't get that note from before about how winning isn't always everything, but she's about to get it now. Charles does, once again, restates that competing is more important and winning isn't everything. Late night up in the loft, Laura is aggressively trying to get to sleep and Mary just lying there yells out, please go to sleep. Laura is simply too anxious and wants to practice her hoop rolling. Go to bed or else you'll be too tired for tomorrow. Pa is right. Winning is not important as much as just being in the contest. Again, somewhat unsatisfied, but satisfied with that answer. Laura goes to bed. I sure want to beat Nellie and Willie. Good night. Meanwhile, downstairs, Caroline is confessing to Charles how she really wants to win the pie baking contest. And Charles understands because he wants to win the wood chopping contest. They kiss each other goodnight and say goodnight. Next morning, out at the barn, there's last-minute hoop-rolling practice and Charles sharpening those axe blades. Caroline steps into the barn with two pies, and she's just unsure which one to enter, and Charles doesn't have a preference for which one she enters, because regardless, they're going to eat the other one. We cut to the Tyler's place. Jim Tyler is sharpening his own blades, and Helen Tyler is wrapping up some bread and packs it in a basket along with the bottle of liniment. What's that for? Looking at her husband, she remarks, just in case if you need it, we can go find somewhere and apply it. Jim Tyler, shaking his head, is very adamant. Leave it here. At this time, 
he starts bragging about the size of flying wood chips. Helen Tyler, win or lose, you're still the same man I married and the same man I love. But Jim looks unsure and Helen notices this. She remarks, it's not so bad to grow old. When you grow old, there are no more bad years, only good ones. And even when we had bad years, there weren't many. 38 years of being bowl of the woods. Not many men can say that. You have many fond things to remember. Great thing about getting old, you don't have to prove yourself. You've done it a thousand times. Jim Tyler, I'm going to do it one more time today. He kisses her and leaves. Helen Tyler looks a little saddened. She loves him, but he is just not respecting his body. Where's the self-care? But here we are at Founder's Day, and the whole thing starts off with the horse race, which really lead us into Walnut Grove Square, or Triangle. There's even a band. For some reason, Charles yells out, Way to go, Edwards! And I'm confused because, again, Mr. Edwards is in a different county. And again, the only reason I know he said that line was from the closed captions. However, the winner of the horse race is Abner Wilson. Loud cheers from the crowd. Mr. Hansen announces the jump rope contest is going to be held next over by the feeding seed. Fingers crossed there's no rats. And the pie contest is going to follow over there away from the feed and seed. Following that, we'll have our hoop rolling contest, followed by our tug of war, and then finish up with our three-legged race and wood chopping. It's a full day of activities here in Walnut Grove. Oh, and I would just like to throw it out there. May the odds be forever in your favor. Doc Baker is getting ready to start that jump roping contest. And aside from Mary, Willie, and Rosemary, who we haven't seen in a little while. I don't know who any of the other contestants are. We also happen to see Mr. Kennedy in the crowd. And they are off. And it's... It's... It's exciting for 1878 standards. By the way, it's a five-piece band. There's a trumpet, a tuba, a clarinet, percussion, and a trombone player in a line marching us over to the pie eating contest. Nice transition. FYI, the trumpet player has some very noticeable VPL, but also kind of a very noticeable backside. And as much as I would have liked the next shot of Caroline standing next to Mrs. Foster and Harriet Olson being their reaction to this trumpet player's backside, they're unfortunately not even facing the band as they march by. Over at the pie-eating contest, of course the judge is Reverend Alden. He has to be the most honest one. And our top three contenders are Mrs. Grandy's possible pumpkin pie, which is told is very good. Harriet Olson, maybe an apple pie, is just excellent. Caroline, no idea what pie that is, but it is superb. And Reverend Olden actually runs back to the first pie, Mrs. Grandy's, and calls it heavenly and awards her the blue ribbon. Not thrilled she lost, but happy Harriet Olson didn't win. Caroline leads a round of applause. Helen Tyler comes and congratulates Mrs. Grandy. And Caroline, speaking to Harriet Olson, and I can't tell if it's tea or some shade, simply says, you can be sure that recipe was handed down from generation to generation. Back over at the jump roping contest, there's only Mary and Willie Olson left. Although Mr. Kennedy is here and he's watching, as well as 14 other kids, there is no Christy and no Sandy. This contest has been going on for 11 minutes and 42 seconds, and things are going great. And then Mary takes a fall. There's a loud gasp from the crowd, and Charles rushes forward and inquires what happened. Mary, oh Mary, apparently tripped herself. Willie Olson is announced the winner of the jump roping contest. 
We cut over to Jim Tyler, sitting on the steps of the feed and seed, still sharpening his axe. And Helen Tyler comes over, looking like she's wearing Scarlett O'Hara's green velvet curtain dress. Look at everyone having so much fun! She points out Mrs. Grandy, who won the pie-eating contest. Jim Tyler remarks, Oh, she's pretty. Oh, stop. She then tries to get Jim Tyler to socialize, but he's busy doing the spectator contest. We are now on to the hoop rolling contest, and there is Laura, two other girls, and Nellie Olson in what looks like her stunt dress. The route is two times around the square, the triangle, and Doc Baker mentions parents are cautioned not to interfere. We don't want a Tour de France incident on our hands. Or is it Tour de Walnut Grove? Helen Tyler points out Nellie Olson and says, I'm betting on her. The gun fires and Nellie Olsen takes the lead with Laura following behind. But after the first lap, Laura takes the lead. However, she does this by cutting a rather large corner. The other two girls, they're lost in the crowd. And coming around the last corner, Nellie Olsen breaks away and wins the hoop rolling race. So far, it's a shutout for the Ingalls. Laura briefly complains that Nellie Olsen touched my hoop. But again, is reminded it's all about competing. They head over to find a spot to sit down and have some food. While we're there, Mary bemoans having to lose to Willie Olson. Could have been anyone else. Her ankle is also being inspected, and it seems all right, and says she should be able to participate in the three-legged race. At this point, the announcement is made for the men's tug of war in three minutes. Turning to her paw, Laura asks Charles if he's going to be in it. And Charles, showing off his gun, says, I don't know why not. Whew. Laura runs over and tells the Olsons her paw is going to be in the tug of war. She runs off. Willie and Nellie then inquire why their paw isn't going to be in the tug of war. He simply says it's not his thing and he gets up to leave. Nels, you want your children to be proud of you. Even before that question is completed and even answered, Mr. Olson has done a 180 and is heading towards the tug of war, and he is not dressed for it. Oh, good heavens. This tug of war is over a mud pit. This just got so much better. There are two groups of six men. Mr. Olson is in the very front on one side, and Charles is in the front on the other side. And this tug of war is definitely just a tug of war. It's going back and forth, and well, surprise, no, 100% not surprised, Mr. Olson goes into the mud. Which, of course, gets everyone to start to laugh, including Charles. And Mr. Olson's team takes note and gives a big pull and flips Charles into the mud. And Mr. Olson's team wins, and he gets the blue ribbon. And I have to say, a bare-chested Charles is one thing, but a mud-covered Charles is a whole different story. Charles comes out of the Olsons with a fresh shirt and green suspenders and thanks them for the chance to clean up, saves him some time from having to head home. Harriet Olson is simply beaming in the background as she is handing a cup of coffee or tea to her husband. Looking at Mankel, Mary's ankle, it's swollen, and of course, the three-legged race is announced for ladies and children. Upset that Mankel is swollen, Laura still wants to participate in that three-legged race, and Charles recommends Caroline. You certainly are a lady. And she accepts this. And just as before, Laura runs over to the Olsons and announces that her ma is going to be in the three-legged race. And Harriet Olson seems confused. Can she do that? Even if she can, Harriet Olson does not think it's proper. And Mr. Olson, God bless him, gets to say what we're all very anxious to hear. Don't you want your children to be proud of you? And without looking away or even saying anything, Harriet removes her hat 
and her and Nellie are on the way to the three-legged race. And other than Laura and Caroline, Harriet and Nellie, we don't see much of anyone else who is participating in this. And they're off. Caroline and Laura are neck and neck with Harriet and Nellie until Laura and Caroline fall. But they're having a good time and they're laughing and they just get right back up and they continue. And I swear, it looks like Nellie is being carried by Harriet Olsen and is just slowing Harriet down. But Caroline and Laura are continuing their pace and they win the three-legged race. Harriet Olsen, of course, is upset. Nellie Olsen, embarrassed. Upon receiving their blue ribbons, Laura sticks her tongue out at Nellie. And Nellie, being annoyed, she turns to leave, but manages to simply fall over and knocks over her mother because, well, of course. Details, Nellie. Oh, it also looks that Mrs. Foster was also participating in this race. And the time has finally arrived. The moment we have all been waiting for. The wood chopping contest. There's Charles, Mr. Kennedy, Jim Tyler, and two extras. When the contest begins, we get a shot of each individual's log and of course their progress. And wow, Mr. Kennedy looks halfway done already. And wow, Charles looks really good in green suspenders. At one point in the contest, they switch the sides of the log they are standing on and I'm sorry, not completely, but I do have to point this out. Upon stepping to the other side of the log, we do get a rather lovely low angle shot of Charles. But <laughs> the winner is Jim Tyler in this first round. Be back here in 15 minutes for the second round. And when we are back for that second round, not only do we get a second low angle shot of Charles, but Determined to win, Charles is going 100% beast mode Kongorilla on this log, and he wins the second heat. And the final round will begin in 15 minutes. And this may be too much to ask for, but could we do the third round shirtless? At this time, Charles heads over to the blacksmith shop to find a sharpening file, you know, for his axe. And this is where Helen Tyler finds him. And she confesses, my husband is tired and he knows he's tired, but he won't admit it. It never happened all the time he was bull of the woods, but he's not the same man and he knows it. He's a prideful man. And Helen continues, he just wants something to show for it. A watch that will tell him he's still bull of the woods. Thank you for listening. And well, now Charles is in a pickle. Such an odd phrase. But here we go, final round. And the chopping starts and the wood chips are flying. The ax blades are coming down and the crowd is cheering. And Helen Tyler is in the background, silently cheering with her eyes filling with tears. And Jim Tyler wins. Helen Tyler sheds those tears and comes out and hugs her husband. Looking over at Jim Tyler, Charles says, this was a good contest. And a slightly winded Jim Tyler says, you did pretty good. Just because Charles has to throw it out there. Pretty good for a farmer. The town folk come forward and congratulate Jim Tyler. Charles heads over and hugs his family and tells them, yeah, let's go load up the wagon. And Laura, she seems to be putting some extra attention to that axe. Passing by the crowd that's congratulating Jim Tyler, Charles stops, gives a silent nod to Helen Tyler as he places his hand on her cheek. Her nod is full of celebration and gratitude. And Charles is walking away to the wagon and I am not sorry. We are getting lots of shots of Charles's backside in this episode. Again, not complaining. And it's at this moment, Laura has to know, you used the fresh axe all the way up until the end, and then you switched to the old one. Why? Charles explains that his youth was almost his advantage, almost like a head start. And so by switching axes, 
he wanted to level the playing field a little bit more. Laura comments, he sure looks happy about winning. Charles concludes, well, no happier than I am about losing. And that's the end of Founder's Day. The band continues to play as the crowd disperses and the Ingles, as well as many other inhabitants of Walnut Grove, all head back to their little house on the prairie. That was rather exciting. And to, of course, make our way towards our own sort of celebration at the end of this podcast, we're going to go ahead and jump right into reviewing and rating this episode. I don't know why, but William F. Claxton here in this episode seemed to be giving us lots of Charles's backside. And again, I am not complaining. But things I do want to complain about. Well, if it's the end of the season and we are essentially having a celebration for Walnut Grove, I just want to know, was there no money in the budget to bring back some of our guest characters from earlier episodes? And even if there wasn't a budget to bring back some of those actors, they could have been clever and written some of the names into the dialogue. Oh, Miss Amy Hearn went off to go see her daughter. Uh, Eric Bolton actually moved away because, you know, too much grief. Joseph Coulter is staying at home with Trudy because her delivery date is just right around the corner. Christy and Sandy are off with their mom visiting her parents. See, it's totally easy to make up a location for these people who are not on screen. I mean, look at Mr. Edwards over in Minneapolis. So yeah, that was really my one major, major complaint about this episode. Uh, Our storyline A, the rivalry between Charles and Jim Tyler. It was great. It carried us through the entire episode. We got to know Jim Tyler quite a bit. And of course, Helen. And of course, the Founders Day festival itself. I mean, it was really nice just to see this kind of epic scope for Little House standards. So um, yeah, lots of fun with this episode. And it was fun to see those little moments with Caroline and Charles, again, on separate occasions, uh, kind of break their kind of character uh, with having that kind of mocking laughter or childish tone in regards to, of course, um, Jim Tyler and Harriet Olsen. In those matters, we even get that little side story plot line with just the Olsen's family and how they end up mostly blue winners, except for Harriet. And again, everything was just really well done about this episode, except for the fact that it would just be nice to have heard their names mentioned somewhere throughout this day. It's not like they died from typhus, but we don't really know how many people died from that plague. And yes, let's talk about this episode's Little House moment, which is hands down given to Helen Tyler when we're introduced to her. Her demeanor, her attitude, her love towards her husband, in just her introductory scene, going from rubbing that liniment in to loving her husband and then even scolding him all within like a matter of minutes. She was just awesome. And of course, I'm focusing on just one moment, but really any scene where Helen Tyler was prominent, she stole those scenes. And so with rating this episode, again, my biggest complaint just being the lack of imagination to include Walnut Grove residents' names in the story at some point, I'm going to give Founder's Day 4.75 bonnets. And with that, we have now officially made it through every episode of season one of Little House on the Prairie. Like I said, back in my pilot episode, the reason I started to get into Little House on the Prairie was because of the pandemic. And reading through the book series, in addition to a number of biographies and autobiographies, and then being able to purchase the entire series for about $20 during the holiday season, and then motivating myself to share my experience of watching this TV series, this beloved TV series, for the very first time with everyone who is listening. It's been a great new way of expressing myself. So again, thank you. And I look forward to all the fun that we get to have in season two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. But before we get to that, we have the business at hand of giving season one its own bonnet rating. And now, 
doing all the math and piecing all those bonnets together, we're coming up with our average bonnet score for season one. And we get, we get 4.2063 repeating. So we're just going to go ahead and round that up to four and a quarter bonnets for season one. And you know, for season one, I would say that's a legit score. And I would have to imagine that the reason why we got such a score as 4.2063 and repeating um, is most likely because of two major issues. One, time continuity. I could never tell what time of year it was. And even when it did snow the second time, it was in the spring. So just a little confused about the passage of time there. I mean, there's even that note earlier in this episode when Caroline inquires about Harriet Olson's pies, Mary responds, oh, you know, we've been there a few times for birthdays, plural. So have they been there multiple times for Nellie's birthday? Willie's birthday? See, I'm just not entirely sure. And the whole timeline with baby Frederick? I mean, okay, we can probably say that somewhere on that second honeymoon, that's where Frederick was conceived, but then we have nine months. So has it been a year? Has it been two years? And yeah, that just bugged me quite a bit because I'd like to know what time of year it is. And second, I hope with season two, they get a lot better with introducing characters' names earlier in the episode. Sorry, Trudy. I'm also hoping in season two, we get less and less of Laura's voiceovers because majority of the time, whatever she's thinking could be incorporated into the dialogue. And please let us not have a second episode where a raccoon is the lead. And please, while we're at it, no more Johnny Johnson. Season one was also great because it didn't just limit all of its storytelling to Walnut Grove. We did get to see the wilderness, Mankato, a rock quarry, Minneapolis, and the one mountain in Minnesota, John's Mountain. So yeah, I'm so excited for season two. So with also looking back on the entire season, we're going to go ahead and hand out a few awards. We're going to start off with favorite new word or favorite old time word, because again, it's 1878. And there are, are, of course, a number of words that are not used in everyday conversation. The favorite word is, thank you, Miss Amy, for the word spalpeen. Again, it just means rascal. I can't tell you how many times I have actually used this word. Best use of food. Because, you know, food is important on the prairie. And although Miss Amy had a lovely spread at her wake, and those pies did look pretty tasty during that pie baking contest, the best use of food goes to Harriet Olson for breaking those eggs over Mr. Olson's head. Our best action scene? Well, it should really go without saying. Joe Coulter somehow still trapped in his wagon, going over the side of the road and flipping numerous times. Although the fast edit double jacking scenes in the 100 mile walk and the cross cutting scenes in Founder's Day should also be mentioned. There are a number of times where Charles, or let's just say any of the men, might have said something that's a little cringeworthy. And of course, there's that scene of a young Laura bathing topless on network television. But when it comes down to it, our cringiest moments have to deal with the handling of Jasper. Ugh, there were just a number of scenes in that episode with Jasper and that leash that uh, just made me uncomfortable. Going on from that, we are moving on to the best couple. And, well, it actually might come as a shocker, but the best couple goes to Mr. Hansen and Doc Baker. Seriously, their banter, their friendship they have together, in any of the scenes where they happen to be together, I love it. I just love their relationship. I want to see more of the two of them. 
Although that wagon taking that temple over the hillside was definitely a great action scene and also a very prominent WTF moment, our WTF moment will go to Jack Peters somehow blowing up way back in the 100 Mile Walk episode. And what awards program show segment would be complete without the award for best dress. And here we're actually going to go ahead and have a male and female category. And the award for best dressed male, not surprisingly, does go to Charles, only because he has, out of all the gentlemen, he has the most wardrobe changes. Doc Baker, Reverend Alden, always in black. Mr. Edwards, always in his flannel. So as iconic as Charles's blush and bashful pinstripe shirt is, when he got that green shirt from Mary for Christmas, whew. However, in this last episode, during the wood chopping competition, that white shirt and those green suspenders, yeah, Charles is the best dressed. And for best dressed female, that award goes to Katie Thorvald her red dress right at the beginning of the episode, her gray velvet horse riding attire. I mean, I know that she comes from money and she also comes from Chicago, so that does put her at a slight advantage. These women around Walnut Grove are going to have to shop outside of the merchantile if they want some better patterns in their yardage. And lastly, we get to our MVP categories. So I've gone ahead and split up the MVPs into main cast, the supporting cast, and guest starring cast, which is usually one or two episodes. Starting off with guest starring MVP, and again, this could have been any of our guest characters in any of our episodes, we are going to give this award to Miss Amy Hearn. Way to remind us about checking in with your friends, family, loved ones to see how they're doing, make sure they're okay. And she was just a great sport with planning her own wake, pretty much faking her own death, taking a shot of whiskey before attending her own wake, publicly shaming her children for their lack of compassion, and of course, lying, but not really lying, to a priest. Miss Amy Hearn was awesome. Moving on to supporting cast member, and again, this really is any of the characters who appear more than twice in the season. And, well, that award is going to go to Doc Baker. More than any other character, Doc Baker has made me laugh. Like I said, he is the Prairie Patch Adams. And getting an entire episode where he's the main character, again, such a treat. In that episode, we got to see more than just Doc Baker coming in and relieving the tension with whatever side remark he has. However, I am still slightly suspicious about him being, quote, unquote, the dentist, because, you know, he is handing candy out to all the kids. And lastly, our MVP, of course, out of our main cast, which is really most of the time going to be the Ingalls, believe it or not, season one's MVP is Big Sister Mary. I know this series is based on the books by Laura Ingalls Wilder, but Mary? I had so much more fun watching her hijinks and listening to the things she had to say. From nearly torching a barn to invoking the wrath of God against a bunch of grown men, getting a job as customer service at the Merchantile, as well as assisting the seamstress, Mrs. Whipple, winning a spelling bee, I mean, Mary was doing it all. This girl even ate snake. All right, maybe we could have done without her bringing home a baby raccoon, but aside from that, Mary was pretty awesome throughout this entire season. And so before we come to the end of season one completely, I would like to take this moment to give a few special shout outs to some good friends who helped me along the way as I was starting out with this podcast. Thank you, Mike Palmieri, for contributing the music for my podcast. I don't know about any of you who are listening or any Little House on the Prairie purist, but fiddle music is kind of irritating. 
and not necessarily what I would like to hear at the beginning and ending of my podcast. So thank you, Mike, for creating a piece of music that resonates with me a little bit more and doesn't get on my nerves as much as that fiddle music. Again, I was looking for something that would be a nice background sound as let's say you're sitting underneath a tree on a wide open prairie watching the sun go down. So again, thank you, Mike. Next, I'd like to thank Emily Nadir uh, for all of her feedback that she gave me as I was creating the art for my podcast. I am not a pen and paper type of artist. So once again, I just took that major leap and tried to get up with something. And thanks to her feedback, I was happy with the results. And lastly, a special thank you to my podcast guinea pig, Christina Ricchetti. For my first few episodes, I sent them over to her and had her listen to them and give any sort of feedback. And of course, she steered me in some different directions. And I appreciate that, Christina. And I guess with that, those are all my thoughts and feelings about season one of Little House on the Prairie. And of course, I'd like to hear any thoughts or feelings that you have about this season or any particular episode in this season. Or if you just want to give your own little feedback directly to me, feel free to reach out at fromplumcreekwithlove at gmail.com. And once again, if you are listening to me on the iTunes, feel free to rate and review me. And if you haven't hit the subscribe or following button on whatever platform it is that you're listening to me on, please do that. Because I'm actually going to take a week break from posting a new episode. So just want to make sure that you get that first episode of season two when it does come out. And with that, we come to the end of season one of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care.